Welcome to the Success is Subjective podcast series brought to you by the College Parent Survival Network presented by Lilly Consulting. I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Julie Wolfson. Julie is a licensed social worker who firmly believes that challenges in life are not barriers to success, but actually necessary in order to achieve it. She has a history in community mental health and special interests in strengths-based approaches, early intervention, and the therapeutic power of community. Julie co-developed Foundation House's College Reentry Program, which helps young adults who take a mental health-related leave from college build skills, confidence, and community to successfully reach their educational goals. She feels lucky every day to work with so many incredible young adults as they navigate their own unique pathways to success, whatever that might mean. Uh, Julie is an amazing human, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. So let's not wait any longer. Here's Julie. All right, Julie, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're having this conversation finally um, because we work in similar spheres with similar populations. And yet, um, you know, I'm really excited to hear your story and then also get to uh, the meat of what it is that you are doing for work and helping young adults. And so thank you again for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So why don't you... I don't know. Where did you grow up? Like, I don't, I don't know your history. So where did you grow up and what were you hearing from your family as well as kind of the community in which you were raised about post-secondary education? Well, I grew up in Maryland in a suburb of DC. Um, both my parents are, are pretty educated, have their master's. Um, and I went to, I graduated ultimately from an independent school where college, you know, almost everyone at the school went to college. My, both my parents had gone. And, and so I don't remember there really ever being much of a discussion about whether to go to college. It was really more of an assumption. Um, I think most of the people I knew were going to go to college or if not, yeah, most, if not all, um, most of the people around me. It also really aligned with my own personal goals. My, my mom is a psychiatric nurse practitioner and had been in private practice or still is, you know, all, all through when I was growing up. And so at some point in my childhood, I decided I was that would be my path too, and I would go into private practice and maybe get my PhD in psychology. And so I think, you know, with it being sort of a community, just expectation, a family expectation, unsaid, but an expectation, and then also aligning with like the goal that I set for myself as a kid. I, I think college was just always on my radar as as the obvious next step. Okay, so... I, you know, I actually, so fun fact, I grew up in Northern Virginia, so right on the other side of DC, but culturally speaking, I think, and and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, I also believe that really like that region is surrounded by heavily educated people, right? Like not millennials, but like Gen X and boomers. And subsequently we as their offspring are, we were raised in a culture, both in the house and in the larger community where we're not even talking about if you go to school, it's, it's just this unspoken knowledge and expectation We're we're, we're, kind of pushing you in that direction, whether or not you really want to sit and decide if you want to do something differently. That was just kind of the path. So yeah, 
Absolutely. And I think even my, you know, I was always aware that my my mom had been the first, she did not grow up in that area. And she had been the first in her family to go to college. And I knew that, you know, she had worked so hard to do that, that it had meant a lot of work and getting full scholarship and, you know, the whole, all of it. Um, and so I think knowing, not necessarily consciously, but just being aware of how hard she had worked, it made college seem like, you know, something that everyone wants, right? It's very wanted. It's something that it was so worth her putting all of that effort into doing. And so it just, again, you know, wasn't something that was like an if it was, you know, when I go. Right. When and where that's the other thing too. So obviously you went to school. Tell us a little bit about where you went, if you want to disclose that, but more importantly, talk about the transition. Yeah. Well, so the where was a big thing. We did the full college tour by, you know, we drove and traveled and and all of that thing to look at lots of schools. And I, I ultimately ended up choosing a school based on a program they had because I kind of knew the field I wanted to go into. I had learned about this program. It was, I think, newish at the time. Now it's been around for a while, but it was newish at the time. It was an interdisciplinary program called PNP, Philosophy, Neuroscience, Psychology um, at Washington University in St. Louis, which is where I went. And so because of that program, it just sounded like exactly, you know, like something that was so interesting to me. And that's how I ended up choosing where to go. And the the transition to college was okay. I think the school I had gone to, the high school I had gone to, really did a great job preparing me. It was a pretty challenging high school. We had a fair amount of work. And so when I got to college, I don't remember being all that surprised um, about the amount of work I had. Although I do remember, you know, it was new to have to manage that work myself. There were, There was no one there. I think that, you know, the typical transition that a lot of college students have. You move away from home for the first time. There's no one, you know, saying like, oh, what do you have going on? Do you have homework? Did you finish all your homework before you're doing that? Um, so I think, you know, learning how to navigate and manage my workload on my own was definitely the more of more of a challenge when I got to school. But overall, college um, was a, a really positive experience for me. I, I loved that I went there. My sister ended up going to the same school because I loved it so much, which was also a nice experience. Um, and it really wasn't until maybe my, it was either my junior or senior year that I began to question the path that I had laid out for myself since I was little and suddenly thought, oh my God, what if I've never considered anything else? What if I'm missing out on what I'm actually meant to do in life by not having thought about all of my options? And um, so it really wasn't until the the end of college and then right after college that I, I think I really had more of a difficult transition leaving college than I did coming in and during it. So talk about that, because I think you also, you hit on another conversation that I often have, which is for the young adult who has picked out their path very young in their you know adolescent, you know, developmental period, and you trudge through that path. And it's not until you literally have, you're like, you see the graduation point ahead of you, or yep. you have the diploma in hand, and then you go, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Yep, exactly. That was exactly my challenge. And I, so I really, at that point, toward the end, started thinking about, okay, well, what did I think I liked about psychology? How, what other fields could I apply this in? Where could I, so it was, and I felt lost. I felt pretty confused about what to do and not sure about my path. And ultimately I ended up um, taking a job at a, I moved back to the DC area. I got an apartment um, I ended up working. I took a job as a paralegal at a at a law firm in the city. Um, and I think within 
within the first year of that job, I, I recognized that being a lawyer probably wasn't going to be my path. But I also ended up having a much more meaningful um, and really formative experience at that job than um, than I expected to, in a way. Um, the partner that I got assigned to work for, who, in addition to all of his regular work that he did at the firm, he also was the chair of the pro bono committee. Um, and because of that, I got to do some things that I, I think aren't necessarily typical of like the big DC law firm experience. I got to go to pro bono clinics and even visit some of the people that we worked with at their homes and see, you know, what there's, what was going on for them and see, you know, how we were affecting change and hopefully helping people, um, really on a one-on-one -on -one, seeing advocacy on a one-on-one -on -one level. Um, so that ended up being a really meaningful experience for me. And it, it kept me there for, I think, longer than I might have stayed. I, I loved, I had such a supportive boss um, and such a supportive group there that that really was um, all the difference and made me stay there for a while. Um, even though I think I had decided that law wasn't necessarily my path. Um, but after being there for two, two and a half years, I decided to head back in the direction of mental health. Um, and I got a job as a community support worker at a core service agency in the city. Um, again, doing home visits, but this time working with adults with serious mental illness, helping them find housing and benefits and medical treatment. Um, and it was through that job I, I learned about a program called a clubhouse. Um, and I actually ended up in, in learning more about it, learned that a clubhouse was not just a program that the organization I was at had, but also a model. Um, and a model that, and this kind of fast forward a little bit, but the, a model that had been created by, pioneered by Fountain House, um, and that there were nearly 300 of them around the world. So I learned all of these things about the Clubhouse model and fell in love with that and ended up shifting and moving to work over at the Clubhouse um, when that became an option. And I loved it there. That was really meaningful for me. I ended up there having my first experience working specifically um, with young adults. I co-facilitated the young adult program there and loved that. Um, and really that that was, um, I think, a great entrance for me back into mental health and really reaffirming that while maybe my path had changed, um, I, I kind of had a good sense of myself from the beginning. And it really was the field that I wanted to be in. But still, I guess during that time, I felt I was happy where I was. I felt good about what I was doing. And I still felt pretty lost because even as I moved back into mental health, I realized PhD might not be the track for me. One-on-one, -on -one, you know, private practice might not be the track for me. It just wasn't feeling right. I would pull out, I remember every, maybe even every year or so while I was there, pulling out the PhD applications and looking at them. And I'd answer a few questions. And then some of them just felt like, I'm going to have to think about that. I don't know exactly what I want to research or what I, it just didn't feel like a natural fit. And so I put it away and think, okay, I'll look again next year. Um, and it, it really wasn't until November, I think, November 2010, we found out that the clubhouse was closing. Um, it had been open for 34 years and the clubhouse was had lost its funding and was closing in six weeks. And I won't even start on how devastating the trauma <laughs> of that for, I mean, it was really a terrible thing for the members and for the whole community. That is, that's a whole other podcast. Um, right. But for, for me personally, it did push me to figure out what I was going to do next um, because I had been very, I loved what I was doing and I was comfortable there and now I needed to figure out next steps. And so I, I remember vividly, I was sitting and having lunch with the, the CEO of the organization and she was asking me about next steps and I was telling her I didn't know. And she suggested, she asked if I had looked at social work programs, which in retrospect seems like a very 
obvious next step as it always does, you know, in hindsight, um, but I never had. And so that night I went home and I looked at what social work was and I looked at programs and I opened a couple applications just to see. And I was like, I can answer all of these. This is, this is like what I want. This matches. This is a good match. This is what I should be doing. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. I went back to school. I got my master's in social work. It was, I think, seven years after I'd gotten my bachelor's. And then it wasn't too long after that, that I found my way to Fountain House. So you're listening to the Success is Subjective podcast, and I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. As a reminder, if you've missed any past episodes, you can catch them on Apple Podcasts. My guest today is Julie Wolfson. Okay, so fast forward. Now you got your degree. It's like, it's, you know, it's funny that you said that, like, you're like, what do you mean master's in social work program? And then you, you open the application and it, 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 it's almost like one of those moments where you're the stars completely align. Yeah. So is that like, after getting your master's in social work, is that how you got to New York? Like, did you study in, like, did you get, I'm, I'm like, clearly tongue-tied. Tell me more. Where did you go to school? How'd you end up in New York? So I went to school in, in North Carolina, um, but I ended up moving up to New York for my for my then fiance's job, now my husband, um, and started looking for, for jobs once I got up here uh, to the New York area and started looking for jobs once I got up here. And another kind of like stars aligning moment, I was, you know, had been looking for a little bit and saw that Fountain House, which I had learned about, you know, back in DC and had learned about the clubhouse mall and all of that. They were looking for um, someone to help develop a program for young adults um, and a program for young adults who had taken a mental health related leave from college and wanted help getting ready to return. And so it was, you know, Fountain House, it was college, uh, sorry, Clubhouse adjacent. It was Fountain House. It was young adults. It was like the thing that I didn't even know I was looking for. Because again, I had kind of decided at this point, I, I didn't, clinical social work wasn't necessarily one-on-one therapy. That wasn't necessarily my path. And I just didn't know what was yet. Um, and I saw this and I, I got butterflies. I almost couldn't even apply because I thought this has to, this has to be what I do. I was just so excited. Um, it really did feel like stars aligned again. Um, and so I, I joined Fountain House. I joined the team there. I helped develop this college reentry program. Um, we've been going since 2014. Um, and now I get to talk with prospective students and families and clinicians and, and just help people learn about the supports that this kind of support is available, that other supports are available. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been really incredible. And I'm totally over here. Like I'm, I'm like cheesing like internally <laughs> and externally because this is like, it's, it almost sounds like that job was created for you and you just felt happened, that way. Honestly, like you just happened to some, I mean, it's like one of those like extremely serendipitous, like manifested moments where it really was kind of this pivotal point in your uh, adult life. Again, everything, you know, like here you were at 21 saying, what the heck did I do? Um, what am I going to do? Did I, you know, like in that place of second guessing, like almost existential, like not existential crisis, but definitely some, it certainly felt like that at 21. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 And then you're like, okay, well, you know, everything, everything has added to being in that place in that moment where that job showed up 
for you. And now being able to, you know, because I can do math, um, you know, up to almost eight years later, you're at a point, right, where you've got this program that you help co-create and you're, you're, I mean, it's almost like the dream job. Truly. It really, it really is. I feel so lucky every day. I mean, I just to, to work with the students that I get to work with, to work with the team that I get to work with, everything about it, it, I so resonate with my students when they are in the place of not knowing and I really understand like the discomfort that comes, I, you know, the discomfort of coming with not knowing what comes next or not seeing your path and not being able to. And, and again, in hindsight, things look so clear. Like now I can, you know, go back and say like that led to that. And, you know, A led to B and B led to C and now I'm here and it all makes sense, but it did not feel that way at the time. It felt messy and scary and, you know, hard. Um, it's hard to, to tell. That's not something you can tell someone, don't worry, it'll all work out in the end. Right. But I feel confident in that for my students because I know how it happened for myself. And I know that it's hard to see in the moment what's coming next because you sometimes can't. Right. Okay. So then I'm going to ask you this question because I ask everybody, do you see yourself as successful? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I love what I'm doing. I think that's successful. I believe in what I'm doing. I, I think there's nothing like helping someone else get to achieve a goal that they have for themselves, you know, and particularly when they don't even necessarily believe that they can do it and helping them kind of get to that point where they see their own success realized that feels successful. I'm also super aware that I, I believe success is a moving target. It's not one thing. It's not a finish line. It's not, okay, I'm successful, check, I'm done, I can move on, I'm like done with life. You know, I, I don't think success is, you know, the end of, of something. So yeah, I think I can say I, I feel successful. And I also think there's a lot more that I, that I want to do. Um, but yeah, I do. I feel good about, about where I am. So if you could give one piece of advice then for a young adult that is in that, you know, like flashback, Julie, age 21, you know, what advice would you give that young person? Or if you don't want to be that specific, just generally speaking, what, what advice would you give a young adult? It's a great question. I heard someone say, ask for help, which I think is a great one. So I'm going to, but I'll go with something different, which is really difficult, but don't compare. I, I know it's all of, you know, it's human nature. We all compare, we all look at the person next to us and look at what they're doing or what they have or whatever else. But I just think at least if we're going to do that, to, I would encourage someone to remember that we're always comparing. We are have such an intimate knowledge of our own experience, of our own life, of every challenge, of every difficulty. And we don't have that perspective into anyone else. So when we compare ourselves or our path to someone else's, we're kind of comparing like what the, our hardest moments with the glossy, you know, what someone puts out into the world, which often isn't even the true story. Plus, we all have different paths. My path wouldn't work for someone else and someone else's path wouldn't work for me. So it's a tough one. But as much as possible, um, I would really encourage all the young people I work with, just all the young adults, just to try not to not to look at other people and compare their path. Um, oh, I love that. I, I'm literally holding up a quote because this is this is the way that I operate. And I so appreciate that you gave that piece of advice because honestly, sometimes I, I totally operate on this notion that if you are comparing yourself to others, then the expectations are either too low or too high, 
right? It's just unrealistic and it's not appropriate because we are we are each so individualized and like what you just said, who we are, like what works for us. And so this quote is, comparison is the thief of joy. And I do think that a lot of young adults, even to your point too, is not just asking for help, but this idea of like being happy, doing what it is you're doing. Happiness is fleeting, but you gotta, you gotta be excited about what it is that you're doing in life. And if you're doing something different now than what you thought you'd be doing, as long as you enjoy it, that's all that matters. But you're not going to find that joy if you're constantly on social media, comparing yourself to everybody else's highlight reels, which like you said, it's not, it's not real life. Yeah, totally. And and to like even build on that, I think a second piece, this is maybe less advice and more encouragement, but just you still can. I love to tell myself, I mean, you still can, whatever it is, if you want to do it, you still can. If you want to go back to school after a few years that you haven't been in the classroom, you still can. If you want to leave school because it's not working out, you know, and you'd rather work, you can still do that. If you want to find a job that fulfills you or you know, just anything that, that our students want to do, there's no finality in, in trying something. You know, you can try one thing and evaluate how it's going and you can still do the things that you want to do um, just because we all have these timelines or at least a lot of us, I think, have these timelines. I'll do this by this age and this by this age. And then when we get off our timeline, it feels like, well, I've, I've missed out on the opportunity to do that. I guess I, I lost that chance. And there's just no timeline for, for any of these things other than the ones that we set for ourselves. So I always want to say you can still do that. If that's still one of your goals, you can still do it. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. It doesn't matter how long it's been, how old you are. Um, it's still possible. So it's, I feel like it's important to, to say that. I love that. Okay, so we did kind of skip over the actual like the the meat, right? The shameless plug for what it is that you're doing. So let's actually use this as an opportunity to talk about who it is that you're serving, what it is that you're doing, and then let's transition quickly to, well, how the heck do people reach out to you? Because I know that they're going to hear your story and they're going to want to connect, whether it's to actually connect about, you know, the program or just to connect with you, Julie, because your story and like your advice or your guidance or encouragement is what resonates with them. And so uh, we want to make sure people know how to, to connect with you. So take it away. Yeah, great. Thank you. So college reentry is we develop college reentry for young adults between 18 and 30 who either took a mental health related leave from college or have paused beginning school because of something related to mental health kind of recognized out of high school that they might need to take a moment and gain some additional skills. Um, so we, we help students both prepare academically to go back to school, also to learn a lot of wellness, stress management um, tools, build resilience, kind of help students feel really confident, um, both academically and in terms of their own self-care about going back and being a successful student. Um, we're a non-clinical program, which sets us apart a little bit from other uh, programs. And it's clinical. The clinical piece is so important. And we support all of our students in finding that support. Um, but our goal is, is to let them, you know, work with their clinicians and then to be their, their supportive community as they head back to school and to see themselves as students again, particularly for students who have left and been out of the classroom and been away from school and maybe even feel a little bit like patients at this, you know, or identifying more with the feeling of being a patient than anything else. And so we say, no, you're a student again. You know, when you come to us, you can be a student again. You can kind of either 
relearn or relearn some of those skills that are going to help you be successful at it. And then we continue to support students as they return to school. What I'm even thinking as you're talking to that, there's probably even just some relief, like a sense of relief to be around other young adults, because I think in addition to going back to the like social media or just like comparing yourself to others, I, we don't talk enough about this, right? Like people leaving school, whether it's to just withdraw, whether it's to take a mental health break, like whatever the need is, there's a lot of people out there that are doing it. And, you know, like that's almost not spotlighted at all, other than just the the conversation about mental health and young adults. Like we're, higher ed's not saying, you know, X percentage of our students are leaving every semester, or every year for these reasons. They're focusing on the reasons why students are staying, right? Or the percentage is staying. But what about the 10% or the 23% from that school that's stepping away? That's a large chunk of students. Yeah, yeah, it is. And connecting those students, I think so many of our students feel like they're the only one, right? They see their friends continue on. They see their friends graduate, you know, and they feel like they are the only one that this is happening for that's having this experience. And so you're exactly right that the the classes and the workshop and our, the program itself, those are really important and equally important, I think, is just meeting other students who are in a similar transition and going through something similar and having that shared experience um, and just reducing that isolation that so many of our students feel. Yeah, so important. Okay, so last question, how do they contact you? Uh, the easiest, so collegereentry.org is our website, um, and you can reach out to me through there. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can email me, julie at collegereentry.org. If you prefer text, you can text me. Uh, I can give you my number. I can say it here, 845-577-1661. Um, and please reach out. Anyone who's even thinking about it, there's um, I, I love connecting with people. I, you know, whether CRE is, is the right place for you or not, I love connecting with students and families and, and I would love to talk to anyone who's listening and wants to, wants to connect. Julie, thank you so much, seriously, for, for sharing your own story and also for the work that you're doing, because it's evident that you, you were called to do this work. And so, um, it just, it feels very authentic. And I know that when students and families are connecting with you, they probably sense that too. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me here. It was so nice to get to, to talk a little bit. for this week's success is subjective episode stay tuned for our next episode where you can bet it'll be another amazing human sharing their very personal story with the world you can follow me joanna on instagram at lily consulting and on facebook at lily consulting llc most importantly though check out the resources link on my website at lilyconsulting.com and that's l-i-l-l-e-y consulting.com or you can just search on google for lily consulting you can also download and subscribe to listen to the successes subjective interviews on any popular podcast app such as apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, soundcloud spotify stitcher and tune in radio make sure you check out the show notes where you'll find contact information website details links to articles and all social media for our guest thank you our listener for tuning in and remember there is no single path through life success is what you make it 